Well, I think Dan did a great job of just introducing that passage that Paul didn't have an agenda. He didn't have the next day even planned out for him. He just knew what God had called him to do. He was willing to stay. He was willing to go. He was willing to walk into the middle of a fire with Gallio, the proconsul, and a trial, accusations that were untrue. And that's the way life is, isn't it? Um, this has been a, a hard week for our church and a hard week particularly for the Schertz family. And a lot of times we ask that question, what is God's will? Now normally I preach expositorily, verse by verse, giving the historical context, the grammar, and making applications, but sometimes the Lord just doesn't lead me that way. And this is one of those passages. And I just looked at it and I said, it's a travel log. You know, what do I do with this? He went to this place and he wanted to go here and cut his hair. Stay at Ephesus. No, I think I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And one little phrase that grabbed me. I'm going to come back, God willing. Now, as you're reading that in the Greek text, it's a little bit different. It's a grammatical phrase, and you don't have to memorize this, and I'm not going to quiz you on it, but it's called a periphrastic participle. That means it's just hanging out there. It has no grammatical connection to the sentence whatsoever. It's only there for a logical connection to make sense of what's going on in Paul's life. All Paul knew was God willing. And how do you know God's will sometimes? Sometimes you just feel like you're just shooting in the dark and you say, I don't know what to do. In those kind of circumstances, you wait. You pray. You look to God's word. And I, I want to just kind of walk through Paul's stay in Corinth and give three simple principles for God's will. I had a friend that was almost paralyzed because they wanted to make sure everything that they were doing was in God's will. And they were almost fanatical about it. The car was on empty. I kid you not, do I let it run out of gas so somebody can come and help me and I can witness to them? That's the way their head thought. Driving past the gas station. Do I stop at this gas station? Should I go in and talk to the attendant and, and leave a track at that one? Maybe God wants me to go to this one. And they were paralyzed, literally, trying to figure out God's will. When I'm hungry... Rick, it's God's will to eat. <laughs> and Rick's stomach's getting smaller, so it's God's will that he eat, doesn't eat so much. It's not too hard to figure out. Sometimes God has given us a brain, right? And people overthink it. And a lot of Reformed theologians are putting a lot of stuff on the website and in books saying that everything that happens is God's decreed will. And so you're wondering, 
the rapist, the, the inventor of the Holocaust? Did God do those things? Is that God's will? Well, I think if we look at the Bible, God will tell us no. God tempts no one with evil. It was never God's will that Adam should rebel. How do I know that? Because I know it from God's word. James chapter 1 and verse 13 says, God tempts no man with evil, neither is he attempted of God. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Now God has decreed that when sin conceives, it's going to bring forth death. God has decreed that, yes. But every decision we make, no. How do I know that? I know it from 1 John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's not of the Father. God has not decreed those things. The Bible tells me that. It goes on to say, but whoever does the will of God. So in other words, God's will is diametrically opposed to those things. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But I don't believe that God meticulously does evil things because that's his desire. It makes the Bible almost unreadable, untenable. To think that God doesn't want a king over Israel, and yet he allows them to choose Saul, and then he would decree a king that he later regrets having king. And your mind begins to spin with that kind of theology. I think we just need to take the Bible as it says and read it as a simple child sometimes. Paul's finding God's will in this city of Corinth Three things that we all can do. We can use the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And we can trust in his divine providence to order circumstances. God providentially had Jordan be here this morning. He's normally not here a lot of times because he's at work. And he got up and he used a spiritual gift that God has given him. Ron promptly came up and took a hymn book and said, let's sing holy, holy, holy. Using your gift as God providentially guides. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Don't get all bent out of shape. Don't twist your, your hair. And pull, Am I doing God's will? I went to Ireland as a missionary, as a church planter. I love athletics. We happened to go to the city of Limerick. It was the athletic training center for the entire country of Ireland. I didn't know that. But here I was, the cross-country and track coach at the University of Shorter. I had ran in the U.S. Olympic trials, and I saw this sign going down the road, the National Coaches Training Center. You know what? I thought it was God's will for me to go in there and introduce myself to some coaches. He said, come out to practice tonight. I met a soil scientist who was coaching the distance runners who knew beans about coaching. And he says, why don't you take over my job? And I, and I said, well, I'm going to have to go back to America because I don't have any income here other than my support from churches. 
and the dollar's plummeting, and the euro's going up, and I can't afford to live here. He says, I tell you what, I'll give you a job in my science lab. And he's, I said, I don't know beans about science. He says, don't worry, I'll take care of that. <laughs> that was God's providence as I followed what I felt I should do. Paul gets to the city of Corinth, and who does he happen to find? None other than Priscilla and Aquila. And you know what their job happened to be? Tent makers. What was Paul's occupation? He was a tent maker. Do you think that was God's will for him to hang out with Priscilla and Aquila and to meet them and to work with them and to stay with them? I think it was. And the neat thing about that is when Priscilla and Aquila met them, they were Jews. And when Paul leaves Corinth, they are Christians. God works and weaves these things together so mysteriously but so beautifully as we just follow our callings and our gifts. Paul knew that he was called to be an evangelist. So when he got to the city of Corinth, he says, I'm going to go into the synagogue and I'm going to start reasoning with the Jews. So I think God's will isn't that complicated. I think we use our spiritual gifts and we trust in his divine providences. But then another principle is we obey the Bible. We obey God's word. I think 99.5% of God's will is already in black and white. I know it's God's will for me to raise up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I know it's, I don't have to question that. I know at bedtime, when I was tucking my kids in, that we read a Bible story. How do I know that? I know it from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. When you're going to bed, when you get up, and when you're driving down the road, you talk to your kids about God's things. We just did it. I know what kind of husband I'm supposed to be. I don't always do it, but I know what kind of husband I'm supposed to be. My wife reminds me when I'm not. That's her will. That's God's will for her to do that for me. Um, obeying God's word is God's will, isn't it? Paul knew that he was to go to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile. Because they were the ones that were waiting for their Messiah. So what did Paul do? He went to the Jew first. Look in verse 6. But when they opposed the Jews, and they blasphemed, having shaken his garment, he said to them, Your blood upon your heads, I am clean, I go to the Gentiles. What is Paul quoting? He's quoting God's word. This is God's will, because this is God's word. Where's that found in Scripture? It's found in Ezekiel chapter 33. A prophet is a watchman on the city. And when he goes and he proclaims truth and God's justice and God's need for repentance and people to put their faith in the message, and they don't repent, he says, your blood is on your head. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Paul calls the Ephesian elders together 
He comes back to the city of Ephesus. He stays for three years. I'm kind of getting to the last part of my teaching today. But when he left Ephesus, this is what he said. And again, he's alluding to Ezekiel chapter 33. Acts chapter 20 and verse 26. Acts 20 and 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day the same Greek word, I am clean, I am innocent, I am pure from the blood of all men. In Ezekiel, it says, if you don't speak and you don't tell them and you don't warn them, the blood is on your hands. If you tell them and they refuse to repent, the blood is on their head. Paul is applying his knowledge of the Bible to find God's will. So he obeys Scripture. Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Now why go to Corinth? Again, Dan was talking about you use the rational facts that are before you when you're making tough decisions. What city was Paul going to go to next? Corinth was a key city to reaching all of Achaia. It was strategically placed on an isthmus, small body of land between two large bodies of water. It was a commercial city, it was a political center, and it was an ethnic center for people all over the world. And so Paul, in his logic and his reasoning, said, this is the next city that I've got to get to because this is a strategic place that's going to catapult the gospel all over southern Greece. He knew it was his desire to see people saved. Paul knew it was God's will for him to take the message to the Jew first and then to the Gentile when they rejected Paul also knew from God's word that suffering was a part of God's will. You get into a place and you think, this must not be God's will because it's not working out so good. That's not a very good indicator. And it may be the very indicator that you're right where God wants you to be. When Paul got to Corinth because he was doing what God wanted him to do, it caused controversy. He was accused of things that weren't true. I've got a dear friend that we would pray together wondering, what is God doing? What is God's will? Had a desire to see young people come to school and open up God's word. And it seemed like everything was against this person. Why? Because God said, think it no strange thing to try you, as if it was something that God didn't already expect. But know this, that you are partaking of Christ's suffering, so that when he appears with glory, you may rejoice with him exceedingly and joyful. 2 Timothy 4.12 says, and those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So that was a part of God's will, and Paul knew God's word, and so he knew God's will. So you follow your giftedness, you know God's word, and you obey it, and that's what Paul did. Do I stay in Corinth? Do I stay longer, God? God's word came to him in a night vision. 
I wish God would do that for me a lot of times, and he doesn't. But let me tell you how God does speak through this Bible. I was agonizing. I'm just being a little bit transparent with you today. I was a young pastor, 29 years old, just graduated, graduated divinity school. Thought I had all the answers. Boy, I've got my Master's of Divinity. You better look out for me, church. Within 18 months, I was in the middle of a hornet's nest. I thought I was going to change this church with all of my great knowledge. And God had a totally different plan. It was a very, very legalistic, very narrow church. I thought, I'm going to help broaden this church and we're going to reach different people. And I hung out at the colleges and college kids were coming. And people didn't like it. Kids were coming to church with shorts on. That was a no-no. Girls were coming with a pair of pants on. That was a no-no. I would preach out of a different translation. That was enough. And I thought, God, what have I gotten myself into? I don't know what to do. And I would agonize and agonize. God, how am I going to bring these people together? And I mean, it was a powder keg. I would be on Sunday morning, I kid you not, and a man would stand up and he would say, I'm making a motion that we're going to have a business meeting right now. And another man would stand up, I second that motion. And they would get the Robert's Rule of Order out and start shaking at me and said, our church bylaw says if one man makes a motion, another one seconds it, you by the bylaws have got to honor that. And, and I would stand up and I'd say, this book trumps it. And I would keep on preaching. And half the church, I kid you not, they would walk out. And I'd be left with a bunch of college kids. And I thought, oh my goodness, what do I do? I didn't know God's will for that situation. They got a lawyer. And they were going to bring a suit against me because I hadn't been officially ordained. I turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and preached my last message. But the night before I preached that, I laid on my kitchen floor begging God to show me his will. And I don't, I, I, it had to have been the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I'm 29 years old. I'm like Timothy. I'm a young pastor. There's three books written to young pastors. I opened up 1 Timothy and I said, I'm not going to stop reading until God, you show me an answer from your word. Because God wasn't giving me a vision in the night. So I started reading. And I came to a verse. And it talked about people who are striving over words to no profit, battling over legalism, over laws. And the next phrase said, from such people, withdraw yourself. Wow! God, you didn't have to have a lightning bolt. God, I didn't have to have a dream. Your word was explicitly clear. That was my last Sunday at that church. The next nine years, my wife and I had a little home church called Berea Bible Fellowship. And we saw college kid after college kid coming to know Jesus. And we baptized them in a pond in our backyard because I followed God's word. That church was nothing but a museum. It wasn't a house of God. So we follow the explicit teaching of the Bible 
We follow our gifts. But the third principle is very simple, and Paul's following it here. He's following the desires of his heart. Paul took a vow. I don't know why the Bible doesn't tell us, but there was a desire of his heart. When you make a vow, there's something heavy on your heart. There's something weighty. It might have been, and I'm speculating, it might have been what he was going through at Corinth, and God said, you speak my word. Even though it's going to be difficult here, I'm going to protect you. And he said, I'm going to give a vow to God to get for all that he's doing for him. We don't know, and so that's just pure speculation. But we do know this, that Paul was delighting himself totally in the Lord. He was devoting himself under a Nazarite vow that everything he had was going to be God's. And he's going to cut his hair at Centuria and go back and fulfill that vow at Pentecost because that was God's will because he planted that desire in his heart. I have a son that came to me and he said, Dad, I've always wanted to be a pilot. Ever since he was a little kid. And he was married, had a child, another one on the way. I said, Kelly, you follow that desire. And now he's talking to me about being a missionary with aviation. How does he know God's will? You just follow, you delight yourself in God. You make Him your sole delight and you follow the desires because He will give you godly desires. God's will isn't some kind of chess game that you have to move these pieces and figure it all out. God's will will find you when you're using your spiritual gift, when you're obeying God's word, and you are delighting in Him because He will give you the right and godly desires. Now, before I, I close, I just want to say that last Sunday, I blew it. I preached a sermon on evangelism, how Paul went to the city of Athens, and he gave this incredible exposition of the Creator God the logic behind that, and all the proofs to support it. And then he said God is appointed one day when he's going to judge this world in righteousness, and he's given us a certification of that by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And then it says, some mocked. Some said, we want to hear more. But some believed. God was commanding all men everywhere to repent. And I failed as your pastor and as your shepherd to say, today there might be someone here who's never come to that point. They know all about Jesus. They know the logic. And I don't ever want to assume, just because I'm preaching to the choir sometimes, so to speak, that there's someone here who's never really examined their heart, and I want to give you that opportunity, it may not be the same crowd today, just to ask yourself, have I repented? Meta noia, meta another, noia of mine. Do you have a different thought about your sin? Sin is nothing light. Have you had a repentant mind about God? 
God is absolutely holy. Have you had a repentant mind about yourself? There's none good. There's none not, none righteous. Those are the things that we need to repent of. Sin is a serious matter. God is absolutely holy. And I am a sinner. And Christ has paid for all of my sin. And I'm going to have complete righteousness if I will trust Him. So if I missed that last week, I'm asking you today to look into your heart and to consider those things. That's God's will, first of all, isn't it? None should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So remember those three simple principles today when you're struggling with God's will. And it may not come quickly. It may mean that you have to struggle through prayer. It may mean that you have to get guidance and counsel. But those three simple things, I think, will help us. Look what your spiritual gift is and throw yourself into it and be doing it. Follow the commands, the implicit word of God from the Bible. And then delight yourself in God and follow those desires. Paul said, I will come back. God willing. Well, you know what? God willed him to come back. And he stayed at Ephesus longer than any other city. He stayed three years. And Paul got to teach the Bible daily at the school of Tyrannius. And as a result... All of Asia heard the word of God. God gave me a little glimpse of that when Capstone Academy opened. I got to preach the Bible every day for two years. And I'm trusting God that Pleasant View, Plain City, and this area, that it's still resonating. Those kids that have left my class. And God does that. God does that. This morning, I got an email from a guy I haven't heard from in 15 years who used to come to my house for Bible study, an Irishman. Told Dan yesterday, my heart was so heavy for a buddy of mine named Davey. Christian in Limerick. Has no Christian fellowship. And I got this letter today from another guy. And he said, Patrick, the most sweet times for me was in your house with your wife cooking those chocolate chip biscuits and sitting around and talking about the Bible with you and your family. The Irish are so different. You know, I was talking to Samantha and about her dad and his backpack, how he weighs everything up, and he'd get a kick out of this if he was here this morning. But the Irish, they don't, they don't, they're not all, you know, if they don't have it, they just make do. Well, he, I told him I'm going to do this 20-mile hike through the Schlieffalem Way. And I know I'm running a rabbit trail right now, forgive me. But uh, Mike showed up at my house with a gym bag. <laughs> he was going to walk 20 miles through the woods with his gym bag. <laughs> and, a bat, and a sandwich loaf of bread and a jar of potted meat. <laughs> I love the Irish. <laughs> Um, but I got an email from him this morning asking me to put him in connection with another believer in the city of Limerick. God is so good. 
Let's close with prayer. Father, I'm so thankful, God, that your will is for us and it's in your word. It says in the book of Ephesians, don't be ignorant, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us spiritual gifts. And God, when we delight ourselves totally in you, you give us godly desires. That's why we can follow the desires of our heart when we're delighting our heart in you. Father, I pray that you'll use today's lesson to give someone some peace about God's will or maybe to be able to counsel somebody else or just for them to rest that North Valley Bible Church, that's God's will for me and I'm going to use my spiritual gift right here at North Valley. I don't have to flounder. I don't have to wonder what it's all about. And if you're doing that in somebody's heart today, God, just seal that for them. And God, if there's someone who is struggling, whether they're really your child or not, God, I pray that maybe it's a second or third, fourth or fifth time that they prayed it, but today, may they say, yes, I've repented. My sin is serious. God is holy. And I am not righteous without Jesus. And they will ask Jesus to clothe them in his complete righteousness. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.